This is Business Now with Ross Greenwood. Hi there and welcome to Business Now. Thanks for your company. I'm Ross Greenwood. We'll leave that Qantas uh, Senate inquiry as we speak into the cost of living. Alan Joyce and senior Qantas executives being grilled by senators in regards to a range of different issues in, in terms of not only airfares, but also then on top of that, the relationship that Qantas has with the government and the Prime Minister. Uh, it also went to the way in which Qatar Airways was rejected by the federal government from being able to double its flight into Australia. It went to Qantas's profitability. Uh, and on top of that, when airfares might eventually fall. Uh, joining me with me is my colleague Edward Boyd, who has been listening with this and also watching some of the market reaction during these past few days. Ed, some of those key points that really came out of today were really very much all about when airfares will come down, um, how Alan Joyce sees it, whether Qantas has actually been a fair company. And of course, they understandably put up a spirit of defence of that. That was the heart of the questions to begin with, Ross. It obviously kicked off at 3.30 and for the first 30 to 40 minutes, all the questions were around airfares. When are they going to get cheaper? And it sounds like from what Alan Joyce, the CEO of Qantas, was saying, we're going to see airfares slowly decrease in price from next year. So we're talking at least another 12 months away. Um, there was a lot of talk about the competition for slots in Australia. Alan Joyce also... Uh, accused Sydney Airport of running a 40% profit margin and said his profit margin at Qantas is around the 13% level. Um, so there were some classic defence points that Alan Joyce went to that he was using last week when they reported their record profit of $2.47 billion in the recent financial year. Yeah, that's the important part about this. We'll also go, Ed, to, uh, in fact, the relationship between Qantas, um, you know, and indeed the Chief Executive Alan Joyce with the Prime Minister and also Government Ministers, notably the Transport Minister. So here is how the Qantas Chief Executive reacted. One that I've always done, and I think even in 2011 when we had uh, the grounding of the airline at a Senate inquiry, I've said that any conversations I have with the Prime Minister or a Minister, I never divulge. I've kept that for all seven Prime Ministers um, either way, and I have no intent on changing uh, my approach with uh, divulging conversations that take place. What the Senate is asking for is the simple dates, not the contents. Yes. Uh, on the dates that we've yes, met with so the Prime Minister, the Minister. Way, I'm happy to do that. Um, but that is in order. So that was the beginning of the fire exchange between Alan Joyce and the Senators. The next one came with Bridget McKenzie in regards to bonuses that Alan Joyce and senior Qantas executives have received during this time when airfares have gone so high. Sorry, Mr Joyce, you actually set aside your bonuses so you can take them later. So Qantas can make a $6.3 billion loss and you, at some later date, can actually collect, um, you know, $6 million in bonuses. I think you're, uh, you're misunderstanding the different categories of their... misunderstanding. So, Senator, can I say... It's a very cosy arrangement that you've oh. set up for yourself. So the, the way the arrangements work with Qantas, it has three components of salary for the senior executive. And by the way, the arrangements are not set up by me, they're set up by the board and voted on by the shareholders. And for the 15 years I've been CEO, for at least the last 10 years, each of these awards of shares have had a 90 to 98% support uh, by the shareholders at an AGM. The board agrees year. to defer 
your decisions on, decisions on whether your rights will be forfeited or allowed to be converted to shares. That is a decision being taken by the board in consequential years until, lo and behold, we've got a fantastic profit recognised and you are going to cash out. That's a decision is that was taken. actually not the case? That was a decision taken by me. Meanwhile, meanwhile, Australians can't find their bags. We've got cancellations and delays. Now, it's interesting to note here, of course, that some of the criticism of Qantas and Alan Joyce personally was coming from both sides of the House, both sides of the political spectrum. Now, one of the most fierce uh, combatants over the years with Alan Joyce has been Tony Sheldon. The senator, the Labor senator, of course, is a former head of the Transport Workers Union and so has been involved in many tussles with him. And they did it again today. Now, it's a matter of public record that you've been, at times, the highest paid CEO in Australia. It's also been reported that the over 15 years as Qantas CEO, you have earned around $125 million while overseeing the most complained about company in Australia, according to the ACCC. Now, would you describe earning $125 million over 15 years legacy terms and conditions, or is it one rule for you and another for your workforce? Well, first of all, Senator, I know you've said these statements about 38 different uh, companies before, but let's talk about how we got there, Senator, and how we have those levels I'm of employment. This question I put to you is it, is it legacy conditions for the thousands of workers you've made redundant and replaced a substantially lower rates of pay while you're walking away with $125 million over 15 years? Would you describe those as legacy terms and conditions that you are under? So, so what I get paid is by the shareholders of Qantas uh, who vote on my salary every year and to relate my salary to how the Qantas share price and market capitalisation is being performed. And that's the way every um, CEO on the ASX works. Yeah, so this is an issue which really affects many Australians because of the price of airfares, because of the perception of Qantas, whether it is in fact a protected species by this federal government. That's the reason why this Senate inquiry is so important. But look, there's other big stories around the place today that we should tell you about, including Fortescue, the iron ore miner. Its annual profit announcement today was overshadowed by the resignation of its chief executive, Fiona Hick. That's just six months after she joined the iron ore miner. Fortescue took more than 12 months to find Hick after the former chief executive, Elizabeth Gaines, resigned in, November, in December rather, 2021. Now, the reshuffling of the decks across the Fortescue group, I've got to tell you, is quite breathtaking. The chief financial officer, Ian Wells, he resigned in January this year. Felicity Gooding, as chief financial officer of Fortescue Future Industries, a couple of weeks back, also resigned. She, was, she replaced the former Reserve Bank Deputy Governor, Guy DeBell. He resigned as CFO back in November last year. You can see how many are coming and going. The Chief Operating Officer, Dino Otranto, will become the new CEO of Fortescue Metals. The major shareholder, Andrew Forrest, remains as the Executive Chairman. Now, that word executive is important because it gives Forrest executive control over the company, which he's the biggest shareholder of, of course, and might prove frustrating to some of his senior managers. Fortescue's underlying net profit after tax, $5.5 billion US dollars, down 11% as iron ore prices fell. Ore shipments rose 2% to 192 million tonnes. But the company wrote off a $1 billion US worth of its iron bridge magnetite project as inflation and supply chain issues added to its construction costs. Now, it did load its first shipment 
in July. Fortescue cut its full year dividend from $2.07 to $1.75 a share, which means that Forrest and his wife, Nicola, you can see here, from whom he's recently separated, each receive around $50 million in dividends. But after celebrating Fortescue's 20th anniversary in the Solomon Mine over the weekend with Jimmy Barnes and 700 guests, Andrew Forrest left it to Otranto and FFI boss Mark Hutchinson to front the analysts' call today, which is a bit unusual. As far as profit or loss reports go, artificial intelligence data service company Appen put in one of the shockers of this reporting season. Appen shares collapsed, as you can see here, by more than 30% at one stage after its revenues slumped by 24% to $139 million US dollars. Its loss climbed to $43 million. They closed down by 32%. The Appen share price fall is eye-watering. The shares now at a seven-year low. And look really at what they are today, $1.52, a far cry from their peak above $37 just three years ago. The company in May raised $60 million bucks from its shareholders. It still has $55 million of that left. But let's get across the rest of the market. You've seen it already. Um, Ed, the Appen price didn't affect the overall market. So what did affect the market today? Ross, the big thing was China today uh, removing uh, share trading stamp duty to encourage share trading. It's the first time this has happened since 2008. So here's what happened on the, the Chinese exchange. So it's the whole idea is to boost investment activity in China. You can see some big increases here for both Shanghai, Hong Kong and in Tokyo. Uh, but one company that really did badly today, struggling Chinese property developer Evergrande shares, they began trading on the Hong Kong Stock Exchange for the first time in 17 months. You can see... They got smashed as we go to air. The share price is down about 79%. But here's what happened to our market. Healthcare stocks, retailers and utilities did well. Tech stocks slumped thanks to Appen and NextDC. Market finished the day up about 0.6%. Top performers included fuel refiner and retailer Viva, which reported its results last week. Data company Newix was up too, and the fund manager Magellan. Communication and mining technology group Coden dropped after reporting a 33% fall in full-year profit. Fortescue Metals had slipped after it's losing its chief executive. And data networking company NextDC fell after reporting a loss of about $26 million during the recent year. Ross, that's markets. Yeah, plenty of news around the place with Qantas, of course, Ed. Thanks for that. For that. And let's go to the economy. July's retail sales numbers are ahead half a percent, reversing a sharp decline in June. But there is evidence the bounce might have been... The Matildas and the World Cup. Warren Hogan, an independent economist, consultant for the small business lender, Judo Bankers, with me. Uh, a Matildas bounce for retail sales? Why? Well, obviously, a lot of takeaway food, a lot of eating out, tourism, um, probably part of the story, but I think, you know, it's a monthly oddity. I don't think we should read too much into it. Okay, so here's the reality of it is we see the retail trade here. Uh, it looks a little better on an annual basis, but the fact is you can see it's down. Do you think there's a long-term malaise in Australia's uh, retail trend? Yeah, oh, definitely, and that's because of where we've come from. We were booming for years through the pandemic with all the stimulus, the fact that we couldn't spend money on services, strong balance sheets, people having money, incomes going up. It's, it's, it is stuck. It can't grow because it's such a high level. It, it, we've seen a contraction in consumer spending, but it all happened late last year. It's actually been pretty flat in nominal terms this year. And, of course, it's the good side of the economy which dominates this retail sales report, which is the softest, the, uh, the soft, uh, the takeaways, cafes, restaurants, which you referred to with Matildas, that was pretty strong. Yeah, this shows you the overall dollar spend going back 10 years. It shows you the pandemic, which just threw it all right in. Yeah, you can see that, really. Yeah. But then you can see it's above trend. It's way above trend well, now. It's miles above the pre-pandemic trend, but I've adjusted for inflation, and it's still above trend. 
So what we're seeing is an extraordinarily high level of retail sales last year. We've come back some of the way. Isn't that all the COVID, COVID stimulus money? That's all wearing out of the system. We're normalising. And what that means is even if we don't have a hard landing, we're probably going to have a hard landing for the consumer. It's going to be headwinds for retailers for at least another 12 months because consumer spending is at too high a level. Okay, so the consumer spending is too high a lev level. The deliberate strategy of the Reserve Bank was to raise interest rates to take that demand out of our economy. It kind of hasn't worked up until now. You start to see some signs of it. But the fact of the matter is that retail sales rose this last month, and you say it's a one-month oddity, but they wouldn't want to see that going on month after month. Otherwise, they've got no choice but to, keep, but to resume raising interest rates. That's right. I mean, we're, we're, we're thinking the most sensitive part of this economy is the consumer because of higher rates, higher mortgage payments, and there's a resilience out there. There's no two ways about it. You're, there's definitely pockets of distress. There's people who are struggling. Sure. But the overall economy is actually still doing... But see, there's the point, because you go to Qantas, we're just talking about that, the high airfares, their load factors have never been higher. Yeah, well, They're actually spending money up the front. Somebody told me the other day, seeing you're in the travel industry, if they could actually make half of the aircrafts leaving Australia business class, they would. The only reason a lot of people are travelling in economy right now is because they can't get a seat in, in, in business class. Exactly. And, and and I think this is really important for markets, which have got no chance of a rate hike priced in next week, hardly any chance of another rate hike at all. This is the resilience of the economy. We've seen it overseas. We don't need much to go wrong on the inflation front for the RDA to be back in the game. This economy is not slowing as quickly as some would have us believe. OK, so we saw the United States basically say, right, so we think that, yes, there could be another interest rate rise. Most people say there's not going to be another one there. There might not be another one here either. That's a reality. Well, there might not be if these trends for a weaker economy continue. And there's certainly evidence of it, but the housing market's bouncing back. Let's see this CPI report for July on Wednesday. All the other evidence is inflation actually picked up in July and August. And the fact of the matter is our interest rate at 4.1% is still record low differential to the US at 5.5. So we're in a different situation to the US. That's great. Warren Hogan, always good to have in the program. Many thanks for your time today in a disrupted Thank day you. for us. But that is it for today's program. Business Now returns tomorrow afternoon. Thanks for your company today. We'll see you then. News doesn't have to be boring. The Brits have given Prince Harry a new nickname after yet another tell-all interview. Oh, God, is it the ginger winger? <laughs> <laughs> Let the team at news.com.au get you up to speed each day with their podcast from the newsroom. A couple were busted joining the Mile High Club. Well, I guess they can't fly virgin anymore. <laughs> Politics, sport, red carpets, royals. Get all the goss in just a few minutes. Follow from the newsroom wherever you get your podcast from.